0: every epic podcast has a beginning and this is ours i'm mike mcmahon with mark blotta mark how are you doing good mike how are you doing good this will be fun this is the first ever number one episode one like the pilot episode original episode when we're doing episode 600 we can talk about this night when we recorded episode number one of the neutral zone mass high school podcast
1: we can, we can now say we can we've officially done it the first episode is going to be out the door it's, it's a very proud moment
0: it is we've talked about this for a while right <laughs> a long
1: a long time a long, a long time it, it's one it's, of those
0: things that always sounds good when we're texting about stuff and then we finally decided to make it happen
1: exactly and we're it, it feels like this is the right time for it too especially with podcasting having just absolutely taken off it's it's a shame that there wasn't something more themed towards mass high school hockey well now it is
0: yeah and it's it's an appropriate time of year to do it because the season's right around the corner. Uh, As we record this, it's the night before Thanksgiving, tryout start Monday. Everything kind of kicks off in about a week, Uh, regular season games, what, about a week and a half, a week and a half from now, roughly speaking, maybe two weeks from now is when everything's going to kind of get into full swing. But uh, we're going to be here throughout the year to kind of break it all down, talk about things now in the preseason, during the regular season, and of course during the playoffs as well. So uh, it should be a fun ride and it should be, I think, educational for people that are maybe new, like someone like me, who's kind of... uh, entering the world of high school hockey i've been more on the college side for a while but i have kids that are now getting to the high school age uh, and will be a lot more involved in high school hockey over the next couple years Uh, and i'll be able to bounce things off you and figure some things out because you've been doing this for a while
1: exactly this is now year six of us doing you know the mass nz thing and obviously there are multiple pieces to it we launched our website six years ago we added rosters and schedules and put all of that together for the site we also you know, started our you know, scouting evaluations at that time. And we've been doing six years of that where we do three evaluations per year, one in January, one in February, one in March. And, you know, it's it's really taken off with the popularity because it's the first time that a lot of these players have been evaluated against each other. So it's it's really fun for us to go and watch the games, too. There's nothing quite like the atmosphere in the MIAA and watching especially these local town rivalries and private school rivalries. It's it's a boatload of fun and, and we just we just love doing it.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't been around so I used to cover a lot of high school games when I was full time at the Eagle Tribune, uh, and then was actually doing some freelance work for ESPN Boston way a long time ago when they were doing their thing, uh, and there was nothing better than the tournament games, even even some of the, the regular season games. But like I remember several times trying to get into Stone and Marina for like a a, mm-hmm. a an early super eight game and not being able to find a place to park you know parking a block away and having to walk down the street a walk down montville Ave there with like you know uh, six, 600 other people it felt like trying to find <laughs> a spot inside the building uh to to watch some of the games and and cover whatever i was covering and then you look back like a year or two later and you start looking at some of these kids oh geez oh yeah that guy i i that guy that's playing college hockey now, yeah, I, I covered him in high school. I remember him. Yeah, I, I remember him. Like uh, Nolan, I remember one of the games I One of the games at Stoneham, ironically enough. Uh, Nolan who was at Austin Prep, ended up playing at Maine. Uh, yes, Elijah Harris was in that game. Uh, yes, who went to was it Tr- Trinity or Norwich? Norwich. Ah, uh, oh, good question. I think he went to Nor. I think he had I
1: Norwich. think he did. Yeah, and there was also and uh, Bobo Carpenter was on those Austin Prep teams that's as right. well. Yeah, Eric McAdams was on those teams.
0: Yep. And then aside from that, I mean, so you get to see, you know, obviously some kids that are going to advance and develop and, and go further on and play D1 and D3 college hockey. And even if they don't, I mean, you still get there's just the best stories. Like you said, the the town rivalries and and all this other stuff. Like there's nothing better. Everybody says it, and I'm, old, I'm an old man now, so I can say it. Those are the times that you remember the most, right? Like your high school buddies playing for your school, especially if it's your town team and it's a public high school and it's all these kids you grew up with and you've been friends since you were four years old and playing hockey since you were four years old. And now you're, you know, a senior in high school playing against the the town next door and it's a big rival. There's just, there's nothing that beats that environment.
1: Yeah, it's, it's true. And, and by the way, quick callback that it was Endicott where Elijah ended up going. Oh, that's right. Yeah. they And uh, they, they have, they, they recruit this area extremely well, but um, in terms of like the, the local rivalries, it's, it's a lot of fun, especially because, you know, you have a lot of battles, you know, within the Catholic Conference. Obviously, if you're talking about Division One, you have a lot of local rivalries when it comes to some of the town games. Like, you know, the Battle of Wind Street is, is one that, you know, is particularly nasty at times. And the student sections really get after each other. And, you know, that's why I love going to see those kinds of games in the Middlesex League, like Burlington Reading, and Woburn Reading, and so on and so forth. Those, those games are a lot of fun. And some of those student sections, I mean, they just pack the place you were talking about finding it hard to find a parking space that has not changed at all. It's really hard to find parking in many cases, you know, we're getting there early, you know, even at some cases an hour or 30 minutes early just to get a spot and then just kind of hanging out and watching everything before the game starts. And the place gets packed 20, 30 minutes ahead of time. It's, it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff for anybody who's never gone to a mass high school game. It's, it's well worth your time. And you know, the, the entertainment value you get for getting into the building, it's, it's well worth it.
0: Well, let's kind of go through some of this stuff because I know I have questions, and I'm sure other people do too. Uh, because again, like I said, it's, it's been a, it's been a while since I was closely following the high school game. Um, but again, I've got so I've got an eighth grader and I've got a sixth grader, so I've got kids that hope to be involved in this in the next couple of years. Um, Let's kind of run through some stuff that at least I've had on my mind that I'm sure other people have as well, That maybe that are newer to the high school game that are kind of listening to us for the first time and thinking about going out and supporting their local school or maybe their alma mater, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I, I'd like to start with this because this is what it seems like to me. But again, you follow this closer than anybody when it comes to. Kind of the power schools, right? Because I had a parent recently ask me, because I have a son in eighth grade, so a lot of his friends, along with him, my, my, my own son, are looking at different high schools, looking at where they want to go. Are they going to go to the, their public school? Are they going to go to a private school? What, what, what are, They're trying to make all these decisions right now, like right in the fall. And having conversations with some other dads who have asked me, because they're like, oh, you, you're involved in hockey. What do you think of this? And I'm like, well, I, I don't really know. Uh, the the prevailing thought, the prevailing opinion seems to be, if you're going to talk about kind of the top top teams in the state, you've got obviously the Catholic conference schools, uh, you've got some of the other, uh, some of the other kind of Western Mass schools, which if you're living in, in the eastern part of the of, in part of the state where I live, is not really something you're going to consider, uh, and then you kind of have like the top tier publics, right, the ones that are always. In the mix every year so like yep. that top maybe 15 group doesn't change very often and if you're not going to go and play at one of those schools you're kind of just better not better off but go play for your your local town your, your local public school like if you're not going mm-hmm. to let's say go to st john's prep and play a significant amount <laughs> why wouldn't you just stay in town at wherever your local town is and and you know get significant ice time there is that kind of how it is like if you're not is is there kind of a dropping off point where you've got the top 15 maybe 20 schools that are going to be at the very very top and then after that there is there's not that there's a drop but there's a lot of schools that are kind of in the same boat once you get to maybe if you if you were to do a ranking of like one to 100 in the state one through Mm -hmm. 20 is is kind of this the the one through 20 and then 21 to to 70 all might be pretty similar is that kind of a fair way to assess it
1: yeah, more or less, I, I would agree. I think there's, you know, it's it's very, very different now, especially for folks who, you know, are used to the older MIAA from, you know, say the 70s or the 80s or the 90s when there were dominant stretches by Matignon and Catholic Memorial and what have you. The The, the game has changed quite a bit. Obviously, you know, the, the factors that, you know, we haven't spoken about as much yet are, you know, local New England prep schools out of the NEPSAC as well as junior teams, and a lot of those folks are poaching talent from the MIAA. However, one of the things that, you know, is really starting to resonate, especially when it comes to more recent developments, are how young these leagues are becoming, or how young the league is becoming, and how much good talent is starting to filter its way directly through um, all of these teams. And that comes both from public schools and from private schools. So, you know, just off the top of my head, a couple of quick examples. So, If you think about some of the most recent players in the MIAA who have gone on to earn D1 commitments, you have a player last year who was a uh, Mr. Hockey Award finalist for us, C.J. Watroba um, from Pope Francis, who ended up committing to Merrimack. You have other players as well from Arlington High School, public school. um, Jack Sadowski played a full year of varsity um, high school for a public school ended up committing to UNH the following year. So, you know, it's not that there's one specific bespoke path that works for everyone. I think the key is... Really understanding, especially for yourself as a player or for a parent that's looking to you know, join an MIAA team, the biggest thing to think of is, you know, where is my son or daughter? Where are they going to get the maximum amount of playing time and ability to you know, get seen with the coaches and be able to develop in their time there? The thing that we notice, especially from a developmental standpoint, is the players that are willing to stay three years, four years, and so on, when they're willing to stay that long, you see that development just take notches and notches of higher jumps. Um, It's not as common today. You see some players who will leave after a year or two years, but if the players who are end up staying towards their junior and senior years, that's really where you see a lot of that progression. And especially if you look at some of our uh, Mr. Hockey candidates and others that we are noting for like all upside teams and what have you, many of them are upperclassmen. They've taken that time to go and, you know, develop and get better. And they've taken time to really jump in and uh, work top line minutes, work power play, penalty kill, play a full 200 feet before they graduate. Those are the, you know, the players that end up going on and doing a lot of special things down the road. Now, of course you also have your shooting stars. So folks like a Ryan Leonard, you know, who only stayed two years in mass high school um, ended up committing to Boston college out of the national development program and went directly there from public high school or from a uh, private high school. So you know, there really is no one set path. But what we're noticing is, like you said, there are a top series of teams, you know, the top 20, the top 25, especially when it comes to the higher divisions, D1 and D2. And then there's a group of a number of other schools below that who have maybe a, a good top line or they have a good top defensive pair or a really good goaltender. But there are some mixing and matching that goes on with other lines and other pairings. And then they're trying to kind of cobble together and build other pieces as they go. So it's a bit of an assortment, if that if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, because I don't like what I've said to my own son and to some of his friends. Like, in my opinion, and, and I'm by far not anyway, – we're close to an expert on this. Right, I, I'm not a high school coach or a D one or D three college coach, nothing like that. But I've I've seen enough of it to say, hey, go someplace where you can play and make an impact. Like, you're not going to get better if you're not playing. Right. And also, like, I think if, if I'm a player, if I was a 13 or 14 year old kid right now looking at schools, I'd want to go somewhere where I could, I could play somewhere where I know I could play. Um, and then also somewhere where, like, you feel like you're a part of something and and have that be the end goal. Like, I've said that to my own son now. I said, look, go go to the school. Like, as you're looking at schools here, decide where you want to go. Decide kind of what school and what community you want to be a part of try to make the hockey team, and then have that be the goal and, and work at that for the next four years. And don't worry about what comes after that. If you want to play hockey after high school, if that's an opportunity, we can approach that opportunity when it comes. I, I think sometimes, like, unless you're a, a real high, high-end player, uh, oh, so many people are in a rush. And, and sometimes I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. the best thing to do sometimes is just mm-hmm. be patient and let – You know, everybody. It's like what the the Sixers, right, in in the NBA. Trust the process, but like it is, it is a process. And just don't be in a rush to get there, and kind of let it play out. And if you're supposed to end up where you're supposed, if you're supposed to end up, you know, playing beyond high school, you'll get there eventually. I I don't think staying Mm -hmm. for your senior year, if you're a breakout as a junior, is going to hurt you. Now that said, like if you have the opportunity to go to the national development program or to go to a top prep school, I get it like I'm not mm-hmm. saying don't do that I'm saying I'm talking about the kid who may and it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's as it's as much of a factor now as it was you know when I was heavily covering things 6 7 years ago I'm talking about the kids that may leave early to go play junior somewhere like that's not the USHL <laughs> yeah. If you're going to the USHL or the or the development program or like Kimball Union or a top prep school I I get it I, Cushing Academy hundred percent. I get it. You should, mm-hmm. you should take that opportunity if you have that opportunity. But like, I remember, and this is going back a long ways, but you'd have kids who would be really good as a freshman or sophomore. Then then, you know, leave high school to go play, you know, in the old EJ. And it's like, guys, guys what are you doing? <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, exactly. But it's also, it's funny that, you know, things have evolved so much since that time that, you know, what the, you know, at, at one point there was like a huge luster on going to the EJ And now it's, you know, very different where, you know, especially prep schools are really licking their chops when it comes to looking at like the top seniors in the MIAA. I always uh, kind of lovingly joke with Tilton, you know, for the sake that, you know, as a prep school, they're almost like Mass High School North, because every year many of the top seniors end up going to that program because they've built a pipeline of, hey, you've played four successful years at your school, public or private. We want you to come up here and have another year of hockey and play with some other kids that you may not have met, may not have talked to, but these are some really good players, and get you some additional eyeballs on top of what you already did for the past four years. So, like, there's, there's a whole other, you know, process now than, you know, what was familiar back then. And, you know, you do still have some players leaving early, but I would say that it, it's largely the minority compared to the whole of high school hockey. You know, especially when you're looking across four divisions, nearly 200 or above 200 schools, all told – you know, it's very much so the minority of kids who are leaving early. And in a lot of cases, those are either situations where they're playing with a, a brother or they're, you know, going up and it's it's something that's a very specific opportunity, you know, like a national development program, a USHL or a top prep school, like you were saying. So, you know, I, I think that's kind of where where we sit today. The thing that I think is really interesting, too, is the balance between private and public school. You know, there's always been, you know, kind of like that rivalry that kind of gets stoked, especially when it comes to playoff time. You know, who's going to be the last public standing? Can a public school get all the way to the final? And, you know, there's there are always those storylines, especially because, you know, uh, when you get some of those larger public schools, they're trying out hundreds of players, Yeah, you know, when they come to their tryouts. And those are the, the teams that have success right off the bat. Like, in many cases, they will lose 10, 15. I've seen as many as 17 or 18 players, that they will lose in a single season, but then they can just reload because they have so many players coming to those tryouts, and there's so much town pride in playing for that, t- playing with that crest on the front of your jersey. There's and that's that's the stuff that's really exciting, is especially where they've really built those you know strong bonds in those towns, and you know just those are kind of like your Hingham's, your Marshfields, your Reddings. Yeah. You know, th- those are – and it's it's really, really cool to see that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny because, like, our town, the town program is not very big at all. Uh, but you do. You see some of that with some of those towns where it almost is similar, you know, very similar to, like, the Minnesota model where yeah, a kid grows up in Reading, He's not necessarily dreaming about playing at and Catholic or the prep. He's dreaming about right. playing at Reading High. That's where he wants to go. You know, and I'm sure it's the same in Hingham and, and some of these mm-hmm. other towns where you know the, the town programs are, are so strong. Uh, it's it's that's what I'm I'm really interested in how that gets cultivated because it's not something that happens overnight, right? Like Reading hockey has been a huge thing, a huge deal since I was a kid. So we're going back yeah. like 20, 25 years, uh, and so it's been something that's been able to sustain itself over a number of years in in a difficult area like especially something up on the north shore like where so many of the the catholic schools are kind of centralized i'm sure it's mm-hmm. really hard but they've they've done a really good job of keeping those kids in town and it pays off and i think a big thing too is across the board whether it's the catholic schools or the public schools the one thing that i've noticed too like over the last 10 years is the caliber of coaching Yep. Seems to have improved significantly. And that's not to disparage what it was before, but look at or just look around now. When you've got a guy, you know, John McClain coached at Malden Catholic and Austin Prep, he's now an assistant coach at the National Hockey League. Uh, Kim yep. Bramvold was a, a, a head coach at Central Catholic for a few years. He's now, uh, you know, the associate head coach at Boston University. Like you're seeing mm-hmm. the caliber of coaching, uh, I think, steadily improve, whether it's guys like that or the number of former players who guys like that coached that are now getting into the, into into the coaching game, whether it's like Brendan Collier, who's now at Malden Catholic is, is one that stands out. Right. Uh, Or these guys have played at high level. I mean, we've got former NHL players that are coaching these high school teams now, which I don't feel like existed as much. Certainly when I was in high school, maybe it just wasn't, uh, maybe I didn't realize it because I was younger, but it definitely seems like, Recently, I was probably in the last ten years that the caliber of coaching and who's getting into coaching these teams, uh, it it seems to have have the, the prestige has raised quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And you also see, you know, it's it's pretty evident just from looking at the success of some of these programs over the last few years, and you know the way that these players are being brought up to the point that they're ready to contribute when they're really young, whether they're eighth graders, ninth graders, depending on the program, because some programs are willing to play their seniors and juniors before they're willing to play their sophomores and their freshmen. So, but there, there's a lot of really, really good coaching in the league. Uh, and you can, you can kind of see that from, you know, the fact that many of these teams are, you know, one, two, and three seeds, you know, for, you know, a couple of years running. And, you know, obviously Malden Catholic went through that program or that, that moment where they had reeled off three, four championships in a row and, and that kind of thing at CM had that moment. Matt and On had that moment. And, there's a lot of really good coaching out there in the league. I, I love what Brian Foley is doing out at Pope Francis, what Dave Spinali is doing in, at Zavarian, Christian Hansen at, at St. John's Prep. I mean, the, there are a whole bunch of really, really good coaches out in the league. And and the other thing too is when you kind of look at, at the league as a whole, you know, there's there's a depth to it that, you know, you haven't seen in the past where it was pretty much accepted practice back in, you know, those 80s and 90s that it was the same. You know, five schools that were always in the mix.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah.
1: It, is, it isn't that way anymore, and there will probably be people listening to this podcast who may not agree. Oh, it's always the same. It's Pope Francis. It's St. John's Prep. It's Severian, It's a or CM. Or, but it's really not because if you look at, especially the fact that during the regular season, a lot of those teams are getting beaten by other teams, whether they're public or private schools, and in many cases, they're those top seeds who are like five seeds or eight seeds or 10 seeds when it comes to playoff time, they're running through a bunch of schools and they're finding their way into the elite eight, the final four. It's, it's actually, you know, deeper now. And it's more open to competition than it ever has been. Part of that, I think is the playoff seeding, which obviously that is an extremely divisive topic among people who are, you know, MIAA fans, but you know, the super eight versus um, the tournament that exists today. But, the one thing that you noticed in the first season of the new format was everything was straight chalk. You had yeah. the the top seeds won every game, but the second year, last year, there were a whole bunch of upsets all over the place. You had eleven seeds moving on to the final four, you had 10 seeds moving on, you had all kinds of chaos. So it really opens it up. And, you know, that competition is just something that I'm not sure the state is seen.
0: Is there a middle ground? Like I was thinking about this. And and again, I the last time I was closely following high school hockey the super eight still existed right and those best of three series were a ton of fun like i remember going up to Songus and lowell and covering a bunch of them all in one night of like three four games in one night uh, it was great mm-hmm. i i understand to a certain extent why they made the change and i and i don't even necessarily disagree with it is there a middle ground like do you think they could do something where okay you have the the brackets have the brackets the way they set it up now where everybody's kind of squished together in, in one big bracket, and you you whittle it down till you get to eight teams, and then once you get it to eight, could you go to a best of three once you get to eight, and then go to a semifinal and a final? Is there not enough time for that? Do they just not, you know, care enough to do it? I mean, <laughs> I, I yeah, feel like you could kind of combine it and still give it. a a different feel once you get to that eight and then you could make the argument that, okay, instead of just selecting teams for the elite eight uh, for the super eight, you kind of have to, we're still going to kind of have it. You just got to earn your way in by winning your early round games. Yeah. I think
1: that that would be a plausible model. I think one thing that, you know, the state especially has really focused on with this new format is, and, and you notice it, you know, just going through and covering the playoffs round by round is literally, in some cases, they're naming like dates and times and rink locations and things like that, like a few days in advance of the game. Yeah. So in many cases, the planning, if you were going to do like a best of three series or something like that, you would have to, you know, line all of that up way, way in advance to kind of make it happen. Under the current format, I feel like it would be a bit of a heavy lift for the state, but it, the, the concept of it, I think, is really strong because – those best of three series produced some of the best hockey and some of the most entertaining hockey from a playoff perspective. I can remember, you know, in my early days of, of you know, working for MassNZ and um, just kind of building this into something was um, a playoff game between um, Walpole and and Catholic Memorial that was back in the best of three series. And uh, that was in 2017. And that was uh, Walpole beat Catholic Memorial in that game um, and in overtime. And just the the entire student population just like crashed the glass alongside (laughs) uh, the starting goaltender, James Corcoran that year, who was just lights out. And I, that, that was ended up going like viral at some point because the, the video was just like, so bonkers. But so like that, that atmosphere is definitely something worth bringing back. The question is logistically, could it be worked, you know, from a round to round? um, Like, would that be possible if they're, you know, at this point trying to figure out where the rinks are, what times they're playing if they have the ice time booked, you know, that would be the, the open question.
0: Yeah. I I think the only way you could do it probably, and I'm trying to figure out the logistics of it just as we kind of talk it through, the only way you could probably do it is if you decided ahead of time, okay, we're going to do this with the eight schools, no matter who the eight schools are, and then go to, you know, a place that could accommodate those games all in a single day. So you could go to, you'd have to go to like, you know, a college, probably to go to maybe a Gannis or, or, uh, you know Matthews Arena, if you wanted to get historical, or you know Songus or Merrimack or Bentley or something like that, and book the buildings ahead of time and say, "Look, we're going to do this. We're going to take the building for the day. We're going to do four games." You you the caveat to that is you could get stuck with like you know six or four out of the eight being kind of Western Mass schools that all have to travel and now don't have you know very good attendance or whatever. But uh, yeah. you'd almost have to book the buildings out ahead of time and say, "Okay, we're going to do these three days." You know. Game all the game ones are, are this day at Bentley, all the game twos are this day at Merrimack, and then the game threes, if necessary, are all this day, you know, at mm-hmm. Agamas or something.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And and by the way, the Western Mass is kind of an interesting piece to this as well because when when they built the whole concept of you know doing a much larger bracket with more teams making the playoffs, you know, that was one of the thoughts is let's get Western Mass, Central Mass more involved in the playoff structure versus pretty much everything being Eastern dominated for so many years. And the concept, I think, is a strong one. And it makes sense to, you know, bring Western Mass into the conversation and have them playing these playoff games to get them, A, more exposure, and B, into, you know, an opportunity to play in a playoff game against a team from the East where they might not have before. The thing that's interesting about it, though, is there's also the flip side of that coin. You know, when you're driving all the way out from, you know, an hour and a half to two hours to get to, you know, the place that you're playing your game against a higher seed in the East, you know, is that advantageous for the team in the East is a very fair question. And the other, the other piece to that also is, you know, if you're looking at it from, you know, most of these playoff games, you know, I remember one game last year where it was um, Greenfield against Stoneham and they ended up having to, I think, move the rink maybe um, a day or, or maybe a few hours, something like that ahead of the game. You know, so again, that's another, that's another advantage for the team from the East. So, like, that's just one example out of many. But, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think of it from a perspective of, like, both fairness but at the same time having opportunity for those teams. Yeah. And, you know, despite the fact that there's also a ton of pride in Western Mass for winning Western Massachusetts championships, and, you know, those banners fly proudly in those, in those ranks. And there's a whole other series of rivalries that people aren't even aware of that are going on out there. Central Mass Championships, Western Mass Championships, which is a pretty cool thing as well.
0: Yeah, I get it's going to be hard for them to do it because it's different than any other sport. You're relying on an outside venue that in a lot of times the schools don't control. Like not many schools have their own rank, right? So it's not like with yeah. basketball, you can bounce around pairings with basketball all you want because almost every single high school in the state has its own gym. And it, they're not renting it out to other people for the most part. So if you say, hey, you're going to have a game tomorrow. Okay, yeah, we got a gym. It's ready to go. You know, to, to say, hey, you're going to host a hockey game tomorrow. Well, we have to go to the rink where we play and see if they have the ice available. And, you know, it, it, I bet it gets a little more tricky to do it with hockey because, I mean, how many – there's got to be only a handful of schools that have their own rink. You know, if – I know there's some schools that have rinks on campus, but they don't necessarily operate them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there aren't there aren't many. You know, it's, it's very different when you're looking at, you know, junior programs or prep programs, but – You know, with, with high school, it's very rare because a lot of them, there's an accepted rank of, you know, this is where the team plays most of its games and all the students just kind of file in and and take over, you know, entire sections of the stands. But, you know, being on campus and being at the high school, it's pretty rare. Like, you know, for example, like Catholic Memorial playing out of warrior ice arena, like, you know, that's, that's decidedly not on campus, but a pretty nice place to play.
0: Yeah. Like I think, so I live in Peabody. So Peabody has a rank that's connected to the high school campus. But the high school doesn't operate it. No, I think, right. I think, the, I think the city does. So, like that—that that might be honestly one of the better scenarios because I think at least the city runs that rink, as far as I know. So you've—it's kind of the same people to a certain extent. But you know, it's not like uh, you know, think of like Malden, right? Malden Catholic plays out of the Valley Forum in Malden. There, well, they don't own that or operate that rink, <laughs> like, right? So if exactly. they're trying to host a playoff game, you got to go around. What other programs play out of there? Uh, you know, obviously, Tufts plays out of there too. Like, when's the ice available? When you're trying to do this stuff on two or three days' notice, it's got to be really, really hard to, yeah. to get all this stuff scheduled. I would think.
1: Exactly, and the other thing too, when it comes to like local rinks. So, one example of a team that operates its own rink is the town of Belmont. You know, running the um, Skip Vigorolo, and they they now are going to be tearing that down in place of a brand new rink that's going to be popping up in a year or two. So, you know, they they specifically put through the funding in order to build the new rink specifically for the program, which in recent years, Belmont has been one of the strongest public schools in the state. So, you know, regardless of division they've been a really strong program and they're continuing to build up, especially with their youth program, um, with kids that are coming out of the Boston Americans program. So there's there's a lot going on there. But the fact that, you know, there are some towns that are investing in building new rinks is is a pretty it's a pretty cool thing to see and it's it's not re- you don't see it very often but and in other places there are teams that are really benefiting from some of the new rinks that are built like you know Norwood High School for example is playing out of the Skating Club of Boston which is a brand new facility yeah, yep. you know and and Wellesley is as well and you know those kind of places so you know that that stuff is quite nice but not every school has access to stuff like that
0: So you mean to tell me all those kids that are going from the Americans to Belmont are going to be playing they're going to have to go from hockey town to a brand new rink <laughs>
1: Well, not immediately. Not immediately, but immediate, it, in a couple it, not years. Not immediately, but it's coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my youngest place for the Americans. We spent a lot of time at Hockey Town with my oh my yes, guy. oh yes, beautiful it, Hockey a- Town. Speaking of like, yes. I, we talked just joking around, but like when when back in the day when we were in high school, uh, ho- that's one of the things that hasn't changed since I was in high school. It's Hockey Town. It's exactly. <laughs> what, I, told, I told my for- kid that it's exactly the same.
1: Yeah, yeah. Not not much as not much has changed. It's. It, is it a rite of passage? I'm not sure if we can qualify it as that.
0: I think so. The parking lot's <laughs> new. They just repaved the parking lot, so that's good.
1: There you go. There the you go. The rite's still
0: exactly the same. I mean, you know you're in a good spot when on one side of the ice there's no glass. It's just yep. center blocks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a it's it's truly a special place. And and you know, now there's you know, that's the other thing, too, is that a lot of these high school rinks, in some cases, many of them, you know, haven't undergone a lot of renovations. And, you know, there there is a subtle charm to some of those places. Yeah. And that's I also that's one of the things about scouting that's fun is going to sit on like those old wooden benches and, you know, the, the rinks that are like negative 30, negative 32. So like those are those are the fun places.
0: I like the new Kasabuski. Like they did the work at Casabuški in yeah. August, and that and that kind of held. It held the charm a little bit. It still feels like an older rink, but it just it's a little more updated. Oh, for sure,
1: for sure. Do, do you have a favorite a favorite rink that you've uh, that you've watched or you've uh, seen games in at the at the high school level? I have a I have a few on my list.
0: So that's a really fun question. Um, <laughs> you know what's you know what's good, and this is outside of Mass, but going uh, from working for the Tribune, I. There was a couple of really good New Hampshire games at the ice center. The ice center is a nice little building, especially it's like yes. a good size for a high school crowd. Stoneham, similar. I like Stoneham too, just the way that it's shaped because you don't get like kind of that bowl seating in a lot yeah. of high school rinks. And I like, how, I know it's more like a letter J than a bowl, but I like how it wraps around in the corner. You know, it feels, it doesn't feel like a youth rink. Like if you're playing in Stoneham, it, it has a little bit of an arena feel to it, which I like.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And there are, there are a few that are, that are kind of like that. And by the way, the, the ice center is also home to central Catholic. So it is, oh, there is right. a yeah, high right. school tie there.
0: I forgot about that. That's right. And there, the,
1: it's, it's interesting because like everyone has their own opinions of, you know, what rinks they, they prefer or which ones are the best or, but the thing for me is I'm, I'm definitely, I love old Barnes. So like the Ed Burns in Arlington with, yeah. with Arlington and Arlington Catholic is one of my favorites. I love the Burbank partially because of the building, partially because of the fans. That's, a great place to watch a you game. You know what's crazy?
0: I've never been there.
1: Oh, it, it is a must. For for anyone who hasn't been there to watch a game, it is an event. It is absolutely an event. It, it is well worth one of my favorite places to watch a game.
0: I'm going to put that on. on, on a, I'm doing that this year. Because I've never... I've, I've never... It's it just even for like one of my kids, get I've never been in the building, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. I live 10 minutes away, 15 minutes away. And it's, never a, been in the building. and it's a really, it's a
1: really nice building too. Like they've, they've made some updates to it. It's, it's quite nice. And shout out to the student section. Um, last year when I was there for giving me the Wi-Fi password. So they're, they're, they're very helpful over there.
0: <laughs> That's cool. Um, let's shift and talk about some of the news uh, but it's kind of the preseason news uh, there was a lot of shifts within divisions which we were talking about before we started recording uh, mm-hmm. what's some of the rundown well I guess what are some of the biggest mo- movers and shakers as far as shifts in, in divisions and whatnot for their for the high school schedule this year
1: absolutely and I think the the thing to kind of qualify this to start is um, it depends on you know when you became a fan of the MIAA or when you last attended a game that you're trying to figure out what divisional alignments mean in 2023. but So, like, for example, if you're a fan of the MIA from, say, the last five to ten years, you're wondering, you know, what happened to Division 4A or 3A or any of these others, it's literally straight down the line, Division one, two, three, and 4 now, and they're all bracketed together based on, you know, where each of those teams relatively fits within those divisions. And the thing that we've noticed most recently, Is it especially... Did
0: not interrupt you? Is it more based yeah. on... I know, like... In some sense, it's based on enrollment, right? Yes. Okay. Yep.
1: Yes, that's it what is. I thought, and
0: but I wasn't—I wasn't entirely sure.
1: Yeah, enrollment—enrollment enrollment plays a huge, a huge part in this because essentially the way it worked when they first went to the four division model was it was all based entirely on um, enrollment of students, and then what ended up happening is um, a number of the teams would reach out to the MIAA and say, "Actually, you know, we may have you know a few thousand students, but we're more familiar with playing division three. Can we go back?" And then the state would ultimately say, yes, rubber stamp it. And they would go back to their okay. original division. Okay. So there was quite a bit of that in the first year that they did this. Um, there were other schools who w- took the opportunity to either jump up a division or jump back. So there was a fair amount of movement right off the bat. Um, and there's been even more movement um, this year in particular. The thing that's interesting is even in the last two years, we went from having roughly 50 teams at the Division One level to, if I'm doing the math correctly, and I was a liberal arts major, so that's not a guarantee. Um, so we went from 50 to around 41 teams in Division One in the span of two years. So wow. you have a lot of teams that were moving divisions and ultimately moving down for an opportunity to play in the playoffs. That's the big key here against Division Two opponents. So, um, for example, just from um, a Division One standpoint, there was only one team from Division Two that moved up, and that was Medford. So they're going to be playing a D1 um, schedule this year, and then if you look at the teams that moved down, you know there were some big names in there. You know, folks like Woburn, Bill Ricca, Malden Catholic, uh, Falmouth, Bridgewater-Raynham, North Andover. All of them moved down a division this past year, and ultimately, even rarer, there was one team that moved all the way down to D3, Lynn. But you know the the whole point here is you're we're starting to see more and more teams feeling more comfortable moving into lower divisions. And there was a huge, um, I don't want to say like a exodus, but there was quite a few teams that left from division two and division three to ultimately drop into D3 and D4 as well. And so ultimately what you're left with is a more bottom heavy mass high school slate. So you have, you know, 41 teams in D1. If I recall correctly, I believe it's 40 teams in D2. And then the other sets are somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 teams a piece. So it's, it's a very different set of alignments. And the final thing to kind of you know cover that up as well is these alignments for divisions, they're not specifically tied to individual schedules. They're specifically tied to playoff seating. So the important thing to remember here is uh, an example like Malden Catholic is a good one. So they've played for years within the Catholic Conference none of that is going to change. They're still going to play the same D1 teams that they always played in the Catholic Conference. And if you look on MassNZ, plug, if you look on MassNZ, you'll see that most of the teams that they're playing are some of the top contenders in the state. Yeah. So nothing changes there. However, when it comes playoff time, what's going to end up happening is, you know, you, the state has now gone to a more mathematical formula. So when Malden Catholic ultimately beats a few of those D1 teams, they shoot right up the rankings because a D1 victory weighs more heavily than a D2 victory, for example.
0: Sure. Do you think that – so, like, specifically to them, right, does that – it probably – will that hurt them as far as getting players? Like, do you think it will be a situation where players may go, hey, I'm not going to go there that's a Division two school now, or, or at least for playoffs, or when you're playing such a, a loaded schedule that they're going to play and they're still in the Catholic Conference, does it really not matter?
1: Yeah, honestly, I don't think it's going to be a problem at all getting players in any way, shape, or form, especially because the conference that you're playing is one of the strongest in the state. So I think that's a pretty good selling point that most of the top teams in the state, you're going to be playing against them to measure up. So I don't think that'll be an issue. And then on top of that, if you're looking at it from a scouting perspective, you're going to get seen more than most, again, because you're playing most of the top teams in the Catholic Conference. and. So there, by, by extension, you're going to be seeing quite a bit. And ultimately, you know, as they start to, you know, get more and more players um, to come in who are of that caliber for the Catholic Conference, they're going to be. it's going to be more appointment viewing. We're going to be going to see them directly more and more as a result. So I don't, I don't think the divisional shift is quite as big a deal as, you know, there are some people who are up in arms about, you know, the fact that, well, we've always been, D- been D1. Why aren't we now? it's more so, you know, a short-term thing. And I feel like it's also a situation where, you know, there's they're still going to be able to compete. They're still playing against their rivalries that they've established for years. Yeah, you don't so, want to lose that. No, no. And, and I don't think that many of these teams are losing that. You saw like, you know, a team like a stoneham that dropped from D two to D four. And, you know, they're playing all of their rival teams as they always have. But now look at their, you know, playoff record. They've dominated the D four playoffs for two straight years. You know, so like those are, those are the kind of moves and there are more teams that are starting to do the same thing. Wilmington is doing the same thing this year. So trying to kind of follow on that model.
0: I see. So it's basically, it's for, it's for playoff seating more than anything else. Exactly. Exactly. And and I guess that makes sense. I mean, you want to give yourself a chance to compete, you know, deep into the tournament, right? I mean, that's kind of the idea, you know, just to make the tournament. And I guess the way that would work too, I mean, we're kind of talking about this before we started, but the fact that we'll use MC as the example again, just because they're the most prominent one we're talking about the fact that they're going to still be in the Catholic conference playing a heavily loaded D one schedule is going to help their ranking within division two.
1: Oh yeah. By quite a bit. And you notice that a lot, like another good you know, poster child for that was Duxbury last year where they went from D one to D two. And again, for the last two seasons, they've dominated the D two playoffs and not only because, you know, they're a strong program and they have a strong tryout base, they have a lot of good athletes in that town, but also because, you know, they were playing a lot of D1 opponents and that, you know, shot them right up the rankings. And that's one thing that, you know, has kind of proven itself over this new model is how important the math is when it comes time for playoff seating. So that's, and a lot of these teams are playing that long game. And it, honestly, it makes sense. It absolutely makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, again, You're figuring out a way to to put yourself in the best position to have the most success in March. That's kind of what (laughs) the goal is for all these teams. (laughs) The other,
1: I think the other thing that that we should cover as well, that, you know, may, it it may be swept under the rug a little bit in some, um, some folks who are new to this, but there have been some school closures over the past couple of years. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, part of that uh, may be due to the economy and other factors, but. You know, unfortunately, there are a couple of teams that aren't going to be fielding a team this year from St. Joseph Prep, for example, um, because they had a school closure. Uh, Matinon, obviously, they fielded a, a Mass High School team, but they're not going to be fielding a team this year. Um, you know, there there are other teams as well, we've heard, that are going to be um, absorbing into co-ops as well. So, yeah. for example, um, Hamilton-Wenham is now going to be a part of the um, Rockport-Manchester-Essex co-op. So it's going to be Rockport-Manchester-Essex <laughs> i mean so it's a lot of words it's a lot of words, lot bro, of words. words. <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah so there's there's a lot of that going on right now
0: what, do you know what are the rules in the co-ops do you have to be within a co-op for a certain number of years is that correct yeah like enter into so, one you have to stay with within the same structure for a certain period of time i think
1: yeah i believe there there are some statutes there but truthfully i'm not a hundred percent sure what the what the time limitation is or you know, how that gets set up, because honestly, every single year we hear of new, um, new examples like Watertown Wayland, for example, was brand new as of last year. And and so like, there's a lot of that shifting that's been moving on, especially when, you know, there are teams that are having trouble fielding enough kids for tryouts. You saw that happen in Peabody this past season. You know, there, there are plenty of examples. Yeah.
0: It's crazy. I mean, we, uh, for for a while, one of my kids was practicing out of the Peabody rink, and they would have a trial that's right after us. And you kind of look at the ice; and you're like, "Wow, there's not a lot of kids out there," and you wonder yeah. what happened. Like it's, it's just North Shore town; you don't think that you'd you'd struggle finding hockey players. But again, like kind of like what I was talking about with Redding; like Redding's been able to sustain it. In mm-hmm. Peabody, you you got a lot of kids who go to the prep, you got a lot of kids that go to Fenwick, you got a lot of kids who go to St. Mary's, you get some kids that go to Malden Catholic. Like it it, it kind of gets dispersed to all these different private schools that are around, and then you're left with you know not even barely enough kids to field a team you know at pbd which is a big school it's a big school
1: that's true it's it's one of the bigger ones in the state and and what you end up seeing too is there's some ebb and flow especially when it comes to a lot of these public schools a good example too is uh grafton bvt um, blackstone valley tech they were a co-op for many years um at like the d4 level and now they've kind of split into separate or uh, separate teams so you have bvt as their own team grafton now is moving up to d3 and they're their own team so in many cases what you see is that there may be more players who are coming into the school to f- field a more competitive team on their own so they'll go it on their own yeah. and you know we, we see that a lot too with some of these public schools especially many of these kids are multi-sport athletes they're playing lacrosse in the other seasons or they're playing soccer they're playing baseball and so many of these kids are multi-sport athletes some of them end up choosing to go with that path and you know hyper focus on that others are you know sticking with multiple sports you know just based on each season but so it it really depends on you know kind of the availability of the of the kids coming into the school
0: so what does the next couple of weeks look like for these teams obviously uh, they could start trying out next week and in mm-hmm. i mean in some cases there's still football playoffs going on for some of these kids that are going to be <laughs> stepping onto the ice a little bit later uh, but what what does the next couple of weeks look like as they ramp up from let's say monday through when the season starts like well what is the the typical schedule you think look like
1: yeah and you it's funny because if you follow a lot of these teams especially on social media um there's a lot of that you know waiting six days, five days, four days, and and everyone's really getting psyched up for the first day to get back on the ice. So, and obviously we're feeling the same excitement over here, but um, so as you said, a lot of those tryouts are going to be taking place next week. And there's a lot of set schedules where, you know, there are a few hours on the ice each week or each day where, you know, the coaches get a chance to get a look at the kids and kind of see, you know, who's able to do what, who can fit into what spots and things of that nature. Um, It's going to progress all the way to the point where, the first weekend um, before the season actually gets kicked off, um, December 2nd and December 3rd, that's really where the rubber will begin to meet the road. And you know, annually, the first real test or the first real moment in the season is the Garrett-Reagan Summit that takes place at the New England Sports Center in Marlborough. That happens on the first Sunday in December every year. And this year, it's going to be at December 3rd. And there are going to be all kinds of teams from across the state, um, both boys and girls, competing at that event. And that essentially is, um, I don't want to call it a glorified tryout. It's going to be one of the biggest events where a lot of those players can really show their stuff and be able to solidify an opportunity to be in the lineup every day. And for teams who have more solidified lineups, it's going to be an opportunity to say, you know, I deserve top line minutes or I deserve top D pair or top goalie minutes or what have you. So that's really where, you know, these things are going to really get cranked up. And then the week of, you know, December 3rd through the 9th, that's going to be you know, the real tune-ups you know, within the, the teams. The teams will officially get um, named. The rosters will start popping up right around that time from the that weekend all the way through the week. And right around December 9th, I think, is when some of our first um, games that are non-scrimmages, I should mention that the scrimmage games will be going on from the 3rd all the way up to the ninth. But the real games will start taking place around December 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th, somewhere around there. Um, usually teams will schedule maybe one to two, some teams will even schedule as many as four or five scrimmages before they get going. It really depends on the organization, depends on the team, but um, that's pretty much how it's all going to set up.
0: Yeah. And then it's a quick season, right? I mean, you think about <laughs> it like yeah. middle of December and then you got playoffs happening beginning of March, right?
1: Yep, exactly. So less so, than
0: three months. I mean, it's like a not eight, nine week season.
1: Yeah. It's, it's pretty quick. It's, it's one of the shorter um, schedules in terms of sports schedules, especially if you're comparing it to like a prep team or a junior team, this is much shorter, but it's also, you know, more high intensity because you have games happening like three games a week, you know, in some cases, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or uh, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. So it depends on, it really depends on, you know, the team schedule. In some cases, they'll only do like one or two games a week, but there are some that are really rapid fire at different points in the year.
0: Well, we got a lot to talk about, and we'll keep talking about it. Probably uh, in, in a couple of weeks, we'll come back and talk about some of the top teams that are going to be th- that we think we'll see this year. Some of the top players that we think we'll see this year. I know you've had a lot of stuff that's already come out uh, through Instagram and Twitter and or X, whatever we're calling it now. Um, <laughs> already kind of going through some of those things, but uh, I think the idea is we're going to try to do this every other week throughout the whole season.
1: Yeah. Sounds good to me. And, and I think there's a lot of material to cover and I I think it's, it's going to be really exciting once we actually get the games moving and once we actually get to see the teams in public. So that's, that's really where the exciting stuff is for us. So there's going to be plenty more to to talk about. And I'm glad that we're getting this thing off the ground. The first, we've got the first one pretty much in the can. So this is, this is good stuff. It is. Where else, uh, where should
0: everybody go to find all the coverage?
1: Absolutely. So um, the first, um, the place that most people know to see our coverage is on um, at MassNZ on Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, um, and whatever then... we're calling
0: it now, <laughs> that thing.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, so the, the other one too is um, we just started up um, a new Instagram channel literally um, a couple of months ago, um, and it's, it's at official MassNZ. So you can find us there. We're starting to build a little bit of a following over there, which is pretty cool. And many of you, I'm sure, have already probably visited the Mass High School website we have, MassNZ. So um, it's neutralzone.net slash masshs-boys. And that's where you'll find all of our coverage throughout the season with our free articles um, recapping games. As of right now, what we're doing is adding quite a few of the schedules for the teams. Um, Right now, most of them have only been publicized on on social media, but we're starting to load as many of them in as we can. So if you want to get a look at what's coming up in your area, feel free to click on the schedule tab and you'll see them all right there
0: it will be the go-to source that's for sure uh yeah so it, this will be fun again Again, we'll do this again in a couple of weeks and we'll kind of right it will probably right around when the season's starting to pick up and, and some scrimmages will be over and we'll be getting into games and stuff like that and we'll break down who we think even though we'll be at the beginning of the year who we think you might be seeing at the end of the year you never know things could change exactly but Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Thanks, Mark, and let's uh, let's do it again in a couple of weeks. Let's do it. Sounds like a plan. All right, thanks, everybody, for listening and downloading the show. Make sure you subscribe, and that that way you don't miss any episode. And we will talk to you in a couple of weeks.
1: Bye-bye.